respect my or ego to check notch. Bow, pull from the gate now. Fast moves everything around me. Green, get the money. Dollar, dollar bill, yo. Fast moves everything around me. Green, get the money. Dollar, dollar bill, yo. Welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold Podcast uh, from Daily News Record, where we talk JMU sports. And there's a lot of JMU sports to talk about right now, deep into the spring season, spring football going on. We'll also get into a little bit of what's happening in regards to NIL recruiting, things like that here later in the episode. But, I mean, we can start off just kind of a quick recap. JMU lacrosse continues to roll 10 straight wins ranked in the top five nationally um should be favored the remainder of the regular season in each game um and you know if they take care of business they're gonna host games in the ncaa tournament exactly where they want to be at this point uh jmu baseball hanging in there i mean i mean probably the best way to put it you know they're 500 in conference they didn't get very many games in only one game uh at arkansas state this weekend due to weather, uh, but they managed to pull that one out uh, with seems like a little, a little help from the uh, from the fielding of the uh, Red Wolves, oh, the Red but Wolves. Um, but they got a Sun Belt win and um, Jamie softball with a Sun Belt sweep of Georgia Southern, leading into probably um, for the you know hardcore Jamie softball fans the series that everybody had been looking forward to as soon as it was announced Jamie was going to the Sun Belt, um, <clears throat> Jamie, Louisiana, the raging Cajuns will be in town this weekend looking for a 76th straight Sun Belt series win, uh, in the first meeting as conference foes between the Cajuns and the Dukes. So that should be fun and exciting, but I think probably this time of year, the most, uh, most anticipated topic among JV fans is what's happening in spring football. And uh, I've been out to one practice. No, it's been to a few limited in what we uh, actually get to see. But uh, for the most part, um, guys you would expect to be out there performing are out there performing. Uh, we mainly see a lot of individual drills and things like that. But guys look healthy. You guys look uh, – jazz to be out there i would say like the, yeah. the the overall vibe uh seems positive and strong coming off an eight and three season you know like i said you've seen even more of it than i have so what what's your uh, overall impression so far yeah i mean it's you know it's first three days of spring practice they put the pads on on tuesday and uh yeah i mean overall i think they look all right you know quarterback competition four ways you know starting to tighten things up a little bit on that front we can talk about but you know Overall, you know, they got a lot of new faces out there. There's 10 total transfers on the practice field. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, we don't see a whole lot. You know, we don't see them going against each other and, you know, seven on seven or anything like that. But we at least uh, get a little bit of action. And we can see, we see some stuff, right? Um, You know, we get good background. You can see, like, you know, how transfers are starting to fit in and things like that. But other than that, you know, we don't see a whole too much until uh, the spring game rolls around in a couple weeks. Yeah, and you mentioned the quarterback competition, which everybody is going to want to hear about and ask about, even if we don't have a ton of information <laughs> on it. But I would say, from what we've seen, last year it was declared an open competition, and I think everybody kind of laughed at that notion, thinking 
that if Todd Santeo didn't win the job, something was seriously wrong. Yeah. Um, he was a presumed starter all along. And I think there's a little bit of that with Jordan McLeod, but also this after seeing a practice, seeing the respond, responses to questions, things like that, maybe this competition is a little bit more actually open than last year's. Do you get that sense? I think it is. One, because Todd transferred to JMU with one year of eligibility remaining, and for a guy to do that, he left a place where he was starting. Like, you know, it's kind of obvious, like, you don't take a transfer one year of eligibility left if you don't think they can actually, you know, compete for the job and win it. And that's what happened. But this time around, everyone has more than one year of eligibility left. McLeod technically has two. He's got one year, and then he can get a waiver for his second medical. Um, he can get a second year, so he, he's got two years left. You've got Alonzo Barnett. He's got four. Brett Griffiths, a Lake Forest transfer. He's got four. And you got Billy Atkins. He's got a couple, too. So um, he actually might have three. Um, but, you know, overall – it, it presents an interesting case because they all have eligibility left after this year that we may be in the same boat next year if nobody leaves, have another competition, unless whoever wins the job absolutely just, you know, is on another level than everybody else, which I don't think we've seen that yet. I mean, it's day three practice. You know, three days through, I haven't really seen any, you know, clear separation. That's, you know, what Kurt Zignetti looks for in these battles. He wants somebody to pull away and make his job a lot easier and just say, well, that's the mm-hmm. guy. Um, they, they had that last year a little bit, uh, but we haven't really seen it this year. I think everyone's on an even playing field from what we've seen, which is really just stationary throwing to receivers during running rounds. Yeah, and you mentioned Centeo came in here not only with that kind of experience and I guess probably the expectation that like he's going to continue to be a starter. Um, no real serious, I guess, competition or nobody that you would think would be close to on his level. And it may be similar with McLeod. He has a starting experience, but it's been a few years. Um, and it just feels like, you know, he doesn't start with the same level of separation, maybe, um, even if he's probably the front runner at this point. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't played in a game, I think, since 2021 when he broke his ankle, um, you know, at Arizona State. It, you know, or not Arizona State, Arizona. Sorry, people in Arizona are not going to like me. I don't think those yeah. two schools like to be uh, confused for one another. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, so that's that. And Brett Griffiths obviously hasn't played in a game. Um, and then Alonzo Barnett and Billy Atkins are the two returners. They both saw action. Last year, Billy got a start. Alonzo came in and cleaned up duty a couple times. And so they've been out there. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't say there's anyone in clear separation. To be honest, right now, I mean, people on Twitter have asked me, and I've said the same thing, where I don't think there's, you know, I think it's wide open right now. And they, they obviously don't buy it, but I'm like, honestly, that's kind of where we sit right now. When you look at this this competition, of there's there isn't. I mean, obviously now they're they're changing up the competition a little bit to where one guy will get first team reps all day. So on Tuesday they did that. They'll flip it to somebody else on Thursday, and then I believe they have a scrimmage either this weekend or next weekend. They usually do two close scrimmages and then the spring game. And there's only I think four weekends including the spring game like of spring practice so i mean three of the four weekends there's going to be a scrimmage going on one of them is open two of them aren't um so obviously i think chris and will get a better idea of evaluating his players in that especially at quarterback and you know they had a little problem snapping the ball on tuesday and you know yeah. he mentioned that about like he mentioned it twice <coughs> in the first like 45 seconds of talking so obviously something he's concerned about but at the same time i think he thinks they'll get cleaned up pretty quick yeah i think it'll get cleaned up and and no clues as to uh, 
who the issue was with. Uh, no. If it was, you know, if it was all four of them, if it was one person. Um, well, he did say one person dropped yeah. three snaps in a row. So Yeah. Um, there was but, that. yeah, so really not a ton to take from that. If it's still an issue, I guess, in the spring game, then you kind of got to wonder what's going on. But um, you also mentioned um, second string second string center because of injuries. Yeah, uh, Tanner working, Morris isn't pra- isn't Tanner practicing. not practicing. Um, so it's not like um, – you know, guys who have uh, done that exchange together a ton of times. That that should come along pretty quickly. Um, outside of quarterback, anything uh, jump out to you so far? You mentioned there's 10 transfers, um, including the two quarterbacks that we've already talked about. Um, yeah. Anybody else kind of jump out so far uh, from what you've been able to see? I mean, you look at a guy like Kai Wright, pit transfer, tight end. He's a big dude. Didn't realize how big of a guy he was until you, you know end up seeing an next one on the sideline for a minute. So yeah, I think you know he he's big, but he he's pretty mobile. He can run. I'm pretty sure he played quarterback in high school in Pennsylvania. Was like an all-state quarterback there. So obviously he has mobility. Taylor Thompson kind of looks like a just a bulky receiver that plays tight end. And I mean, but he's a he's a good there guy there from Charlotte. Um, and then they got three receivers in. You know, haven't really seen a whole much of them. I think we'll see a lot more of. That, that that part of the game during the spring game and kind of can see a little bit more but you know Phoenix Sproles and uh, Omarion Dollison and, and Elijah Surratt uh, being the three uh, transfer receivers which they're all going to have big shoes to fill and I think those three are going to be asked of a lot this year yeah you, you talk about tight ends and uh, Signetti talked about having three different tight ends who kind of have three different profiles and mm-hmm. what that means you can do the different looks you can throw teams whether you have one of those three guys out there where you have multiple of those three guys out there together Heck, he um, said to do different things depth. he might try to do a three tight end set you yeah i know i mean you got a guy like zach horton he's obviously a top returner back um he caught the ball last year he's also yeah. a really good run blocking tight end kai Wright is more of a run blocking tight end and taylor thompson's more of the receiving tight end and i think that jmu with the mobile quarterback they had it last year with todd you saw them get the tight ends involved and I think that that'll just grow. I believe whoever the quarterback is, they're all very similar in playing style. Um, I think that tight end will get some receptions. I think Zach Horton and, and Taylor Thompson for sure. Kai Wright maybe, but I think he he definitely has got the body to you know be that solid run blocking tight end, open up holes for for people. Yeah, and with the limited views and information we we're able to get, we look for any clues we can. I did notice um, Signetti slip up and say something about uh, Taylor Thompson catching balls out of the backfield. And then he corrected himself. He said from the tight end position. I don't know if that's a slip as far as just like he just misspoke or if he let something slip that like that could be something we might see from uh, those tight ends like in maybe more of like a fullback type of role catching out of the backfield. I, I don't know. I don't it know if, if we – it may have been a slip. <laughs> I don't know. But it might be something to kind of look for, see if that ends up being something that uh, they work into the mix. Practice is in the morning, so I'll give them that credit, you know. But, yeah, yeah. I think he may have just slipped up and, and said it. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that – Taylor Thompson is definitely the receiving tight end of the new ones coming in for sure. And I think that it won't be a surprise to see him out there catching balls. Yeah. Um, among other things, he mentioned – uh, being happy with um, the two cornerbacks returning who played a lot as true freshmen last year, Chauncey Logan, Brett Austin. Um, probably great to see those guys continue to develop and uh, enhance their skills because 
you know, there, there were times where, you know, they get picked on a little bit as true freshmen out there and they more or less held their own. But um, we've talked about all along what it means that you got guys who could play for four years at that kind of pressure packed position and what that's going to mean down the line. Um, <clears throat> and maybe they are ready to, you know, excel even this year after getting that kind of experience a year ago. Yeah, I think they are. I mean, honestly, Chauncey Logan, the only reason why he didn't start against Middle Tennessee was he didn't practice for almost entire, mm-hmm. you know, three weeks in, in fall camp with a hamstring or something like that. He tweaked something on his leg, so he didn't practice. So obviously he was learning as he was going through the first few weeks. He did pretty well in his first snap of college football, you know, breaking up a pass in the end zone. And then after that, you know, he was really a solid guy out there. And they got to replace Jordan Swan. They do have the Elon transfer, Trayvon Jones, um, coming in in the summertime. But Bruno Austin, I definitely think, you know, we'll see a lot of him this year. Um, He played well when he was on the field and healthy. I think he got banged up toward the end. But, yeah, overall, young corners played well in their freshman year. You just expect it to just keep getting better and better, yeah. especially just playing in the Sunbelt Conference where there's quarterbacks that can sling it. And um, they'll be tested. They've got Troy and South Alabama, both of the quarterbacks that are back this year, that can uh, throw the ball around a little bit. Yeah. And tell me if you think this is um, this is not necessarily about practice itself, but uh, are there more recruits hanging around during spring ball this year? No. Uh, no? I don't okay. think so. I mean, we've seen sets of recruits. I mean, on Tuesday, there was just um, – Half of a high school team. Yeah, that's that's but, true. That probably. Um, like I mean, the first day there wasn't, you know, it was recruits there, but I don't. I wouldn't say there's been any more than there were last year at this time. Okay. I think the way that it works for those that don't know, they invite all these recruits on. Most of them are on unofficial. I think almost all of them are on officials right now. Uh, there may be a few that are on officials, but I haven't seen anyone actually say blatantly that they're on an official visit. Um, but yeah, they stay on the sideline to watch practice. Um, you can kind of tell who's there being recruited and who's there because their teammate is being recruited. I don't know if yeah. that's how it is, but when you look at it, there's like 40 guys on the sideline and only three of them have a body of like, you know, yeah. 6'5", 250 pounds, I think, or 270 pounds. I think that's when you know. Yeah. And, you, I mean, you also look like, a, you know, Stonebridge High School brought their, you know, a, a good chunk of their team down um, to visit, watch practice. And then you start noticing uh, some of those guys post pictures online. Um that they're young, some of the ones that we're visiting. So it, it you know, they may be uh, being recruited, but there wasn't a ton of attention being paid to them quite yet, as opposed to uh, some of those, you know, 2024 20, players that were there and I think are pretty high priorities. Yeah. But, you know, when you get into recruiting, um, you know, one thing that uh, coaches continue to talk about in this day and age of recruiting is NIL and what's happening there. And um seems like things are progressing with JMU as far as, like, getting something uh, on board, um, organized with NIL. Um, but the Dukes are still kind of behind in that regard, which has been something that coaches have expressed a little frustration with I don't know like um if you've gotten that in your conversations with you know I hear from you know basketball coaches Signetti's kind of hinted at it he at also times. said on signing day that they're not really in that game yeah paying NIL so um I don't know if you hear about much from other coaches but one thing I found like pretty interesting um talking to Mark Byington his office the other day 
is he he brought up that when he started out, first question recruits were asking about, first thing they wanted to see was facilities. And he said that these days that's third, fourth, maybe even more down the line that what NIL opportunities are available is a big one, uh, some other things. But so many teams have basically like kind of maxed out where they are facility-wise. There's not much more you can do at a lot of these places. Uh, <laughs> Noah and I were at Ohio State, you know, was it a couple weeks ago now, um, when the Jamie women were playing there. And, you know, it's just it's just unreal. And they have all the money in the world to continue to do stuff. But it was you kind of got to get really imaginative to figure out what else they could possibly do there. Um, I mean, there was that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, as far as like building like more stadiums and more oh, facilities I mean, they for, had, they for every, every sport that it's dedicated to facilities. Yeah. And um, to do that, you look at JMU, um, they just, you know, built a $140 million basketball arena. They're building a state of the art volleyball facility, um, continue to, um, increase things in football and football is probably one where they will have to continue football and baseball will have to continue to spend money on facilities to catch up. But for the most part, you almost kind of start wondering if like the timing of building some of the stuff they've built was not great. Is that they could have like cut back a little bit and tried to funnel money into other places. If facilities are not quite the same level of enticement as they used to be. Yeah, I think facilities are still, you know, the go, the go. Like, you know, I think they're really big and swaying someone. I think if you go to a facility, like, I mean, for example, I read a story about Dusty May. You wrote a story, but I read mm-hmm. a story about him, and he took the Florida Atlantic job without seeing the facility, and then wanted yeah. to basically quit after he saw the facility. So I think you know, having a good facility helps you because if you don't have a good facility or you don't have fans showing up to said facility, it's hard to recruit. I mean, I've also heard about Penn State basketball. You know, unrelated topic here, but Penn State basketball. They can't fill the arena. They don't yeah. recruit. They don't bring recruits there. You know, don't know why I would bring Penn State up. But <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I mean, just overall, I think facilities are still really big. Obviously, players want to know what what a school can do for them, social media wise and NIL wise. But I think that they still care about what they're going to be spending. You know, a lot of their time. And I mean, what basketball yeah. is in that building probably more times than you know for more hours in a week than they are anywhere else. Yeah, and there, I mean, there's definitely places where especially at the mid-major level where teams are behind. Like you mentioned, Florida Atlantic. They're going to have to do something <laughs> with whatever's coming so. in. Uh, they're going to have to do something to increase. Yeah. I'm almost well, – their arena seats like, what, 2,500? 2,900. Like, let's say they win a national championship. Are they going to be able to play home games there next year? Will they have to, like, rent out – like have to rent out a local like, arena. Where, or where, like, yeah, like the Heats arena or you know, something, like, um, to play some of their bigger home games in because, like – I can't imagine <laughs> a national like, champion goes back yeah, to his twenty nine hundred. Yeah, what what the like rush for tickets would be like next year um, if they've got less than three thousand seats to fill. Um, a little bit of a sidetrack there, but yeah, some teams are <laughs> behind. But I mean, I, you look at you can look at the Sun Belt. JMU has like for the mo- most part brand new arena. You know, they played it's definitely the newest. Yeah, um, but Georgia State's is brand new. But they did not spend the kind of money on their arena that JMU did. And it kind of makes you just hearing Byington say that kind of makes me wonder like, okay, would a school like JMU have been better off spending half as much 
still being able to brag we have a new arena cutting corners a little bit and still being near the top of their conference and facilities but spending some more effort somewhere else um if if that is in fact like not the major selling point at this point i don't know if they would do that to be honest even if they look back on it and wish they did just because you know talking with you know a guy like jeff Bourne, who a couple weeks ago i talked to him and he was like, you know, they don't. He said something like, "We don't build a facility just to build a facility, right? Mm-hmm. Volleyball is getting a, you know, as nice of a facility they can renovate the convo into, and, and softball, you know, gets the renovations to their stadium." And he's like, "They don't just build the build; they build with purpose." And I think that, you know, basketball. I don't think they would really change what they did, to be honest. And I yeah. think that, in the long run, I feel like a better facility helps you recruit more than having some money in the bank to give through NIL. Yeah, and I am playing devil's advocate a little bit with this um, because you you make that point. The other flip side to JMU, and maybe this makes JMU like a little more unique than say if Virginia Tech decides to upgrade Castle Coliseum again or something, um, they would probably do that largely through donors. JMU bar- borrowed the money yep. to uh, to build this arena, uh, so it's not like it's money that necessarily would have gone somewhere else either to as you said like helping players um with you know social media or hiring more social media people or um which shame you does an excellent job with even with you know half the staff of like some other schools um the money wouldn't necessarily have gone there it wouldn't have gone directly into nil because it's not donor based so that that is like the flip side to uh, Jamie one that I was going to bring up um, the counterpoint, but I do wonder if the arms race as far as facilities is going to slow down. Just hearing what they're saying, as you know, maybe it becomes a little more important to get your money somewhere else. Yeah, I'm not sure. I guess we'll have to uh, wait and see how this NIL landscape uh, continues to evolve. Yeah, and it's going to evolve at JMU. I mean, I think, you know, um, from what I'm hearing is within the next few weeks, there'll be something happening as far as I don't know if exactly if it's a collective, what it is. um, The people involved in that are, you know, finalizing, you know, their status as far as, you know, nonprofit things and tax tax things i don't know exactly how it's going to work we should learn a lot more but um was definitely interested to hear that that's on the horizon for jvu because i do think it's something that coaches have been worried about a little bit as more and more peer institutions have at least something in place even if it's not extremely effective yeah i mean yeah i think that's definitely something we've seen it you know around you know these call it group of five mid-major you know you see it on both sides i mean you look across, you know, in the state of Virginia, I'm trying to think who else has something similar. I mean, VCU is trying to start something like that where it's more of a, you know, donation, monthly donation-based collective, if you say. And I can't really think of Tech and UVA. They probably have something. They do have things, and it's, um, yeah. I know um, Tyler Nichol from East Rockingham, who's – uh, coincidentally in transfer portal right now but when talking to him when he was in high school about the recruiting process um he said that yeah uh virginia tech has um something something you know very helpful in place and like when he took his official visit there um 
the kind of, you know, breakdown of the presentation of what their NIL program looks like was, you know, a huge chunk of what the visit was. Um, so they have something in place. And I would think that would have to help um, JMU once it is in place to be able to, like, yeah, like kind of have both presentations, like say, hey, we have the best arena around and we've got, you know, this NIL program and we'll probably expand our football stadium at some point. And, you know, look at, you know, you don't have to share with volleyball because look at what they've got. Um, so I think facilities and NIL will probably become a huge selling point for JMU in, in the very near future. Yeah, I think so. I think we'll just see how it, you know, it's all about, I guess, playing the waiting game and see how, how things play out right now. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I think, you know, JMU's managed to do pretty well so far, even without having that, um, you know, you can talk about, you know, Kiki Jefferson leaving the women's basketball program, but she stayed for four years. Um, you know, they haven't lost too many transfers across sports to people just looking for that, like, quote unquote, bigger opportunity. A couple in football, notable I mean, big Antoine ones in football. Would be a yeah. Example number one on that one. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Diamante Tucker Dorsey. Yeah. It, but he was still here for a long time. Yeah. It, it happened in football. Uh, but, I mean, if you're talking about two guys out of, you know, the hundreds that have come through, um, that, you know, ratio is probably pretty similar to what the Power Fives have to deal with. You know, frankly, if you're not Alabama or Clemson or, you know, anybody else. Um, Basketball-wise, uh, men's and women's, JMU hasn't really lost too many players that they were desperate to keep mm-hmm. um, outside of Kiki. And like we said, she, she's going to graduate she's played her four years and is seeing what else is out there so they've done pretty well as far as um recruiting and retention even being behind in the uh nil game yeah they have and i think that's that's what this university what you know the athletic department still puts into these you know programs even if it's uh, not really a paycheck coming to your pocket they still take care of them and then you know do it as much as they can so it says a lot about the university and you know, also just about what where things are trending just at jamie and a whole yeah um so yeah maybe by the time we're back in here next week we'll have uh, a lot more details on where jamie is going in il wise um have some more talk about that um probably have some recruiting things to talk about um basketball wise maybe maybe football wise um as the spring goes on uh definitely get back into some more spring football I'm sure uh, see a little bit more inch even closer to the spring game, which is where we'll have a ton to talk about because we actually get to see things and you know report back to you on what we what we've actually saw. Less speculation, uh, less desperate questioning for any nugget of information that uh, Signetti will let slip. But um, it is continues to be a busy spring, a successful spring for JMU sports. Um, We'll definitely dive into what happens in the uh, softball series with Louisiana. Uh, hopefully baseball will get more than one game in this week and uh, have plenty to talk about there. But until then, until we come back next week, we'll wrap this one up. And uh, This has been another episode of the Purple and Bold podcast. From the Daily News Record, I'm Shane Metlin. Uh, in studio, as usual, with Noah Fleischman. And thank you for listening. <laughs>